Good morning. Welcome to Calico Community Church. My name is Roddy Hanna. I'm one of the associate pastors here on staff, and I'm really glad you're here. You chose to come here today on this Super Bowl Sunday to be with us. So my expectations are real simple today. If this is a good message and you really like it, I would love to be doused down with a five-gallon bucket of Gatorade when we're done, because uh, somebody's going to have that happen today. How many of you in here right now are Eagles fans? All right. Any Patriots fans? Good, because like rooting for the Patriots is like rooting for Russia during the Cold War. So um, we're glad we're all Eagles fans in here today. Even if you're not an Eagles fan, you can be an Eagles fan for at least one day a year, and we're glad you're here. So uh, we're kicking off a new series today called Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. And I have the opportunity to kick this series off because John, uh, as you are aware, John is on a trip to Israel, and uh, this has proven to be kind of uh, interesting for us. As a pastoral staff, we have some concerns. Uh, John, they were putting out an article or something. They were looking for red-headed fighters from Ireland for the Israeli military, and John took to the ad. Now you see him standing on a tank. We don't know how this is going to work out or play out for him in the end, but hopefully he'll be back. But if he's not, you're going to be stuck with the other three of us here uh, doing the series. So uh, I am glad you're here today. I'm really glad you're here today, and as, we were, as I was preparing for this message today, as I was doing some research, um, I ran across an article, and it was called Relationship Advice by Those Who Should Know, and uh, it was written by five to ten-year-olds, and what happened is they asked these kids questions about relationships, and it makes perfectly good sense that we would ask kids what they believe about relationships, right? So let's kind of step into this a little bit. First question that they ask these kids, what do you do on a date? What do you do on a date? <laughs> uh, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. <laughs> and that usually gets them interested enough for a second date. Um, this is by uh, Martin, age 10. I wouldn't want Martin dating my daughter. <laughs> Quite honestly, I don't want any guy dating my daughter, but I wouldn't want Martin dating my daughter for sure, but it really sounds like he may have nailed this thing. Uh, moving on, when is it okay to kiss someone? When is it okay? <laughs> I got to crack up about this one before I even show you. When is it, when is it proper to kiss someone? Uh, <laughs> when they're rich. Uh, I can tell you this, if that were true, there would not be a whole lot of kissing going on in my house. <laughs> When they're rich. Moving on. When is it proper to get married? How do you know when you should get married? This is a good one. Bert, age five. Once I'm done kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> this makes good sense, right? Because colors first. Get those colors down. I can count to 100 by twos and fives, and I can tie my shoe. That's all that's necessary for a good relationship. Way to go, Bert. Here's another good one by Carolyn. 84, because at that age, <laughs> you don't have to work anymore, and you can spend all your time loving each other in your bedroom. <laughs> I don't know if there's a lot of comments that need to be made for this one, but <laughs> I guess that means we all have something to look forward to. So <laughs> how can a stranger tell if two people are married? How can a stranger tell if two people are, <laughs> are married? Uh, married people usually look happy to talk to other people. <laughs> That's funny, too. <laughs> Why do people 
fall in love? Why do people fall in love? Um, no one is sure why it happens. But I, ha I heard it has to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. <laughs> Jan, age nine. Where do kids get these ideas about relationships? Where do kids get these ideas about love? This is where it kind of hurts. They get it from us. They get it from their parents. You know, they watch their parents in relationship, and they think, well, it's this way for my parents. It's got to be this way for me. Um, they watch the Hallmark Channel because it's safe, right? You can put your kids in front of the Hallmark Channel, and there's happily ever afters everywhere. And we live a life that we think, we program ourselves to believe that if I find the right person, everything's going to be all right. And we teach our kids this in a way we program them. How many of you have ever watched a Hallmark movie where at the end, the dog dies, the girl gets hit by a truck, and the guy falls off a building, and it ends with a funeral? It just doesn't happen that way. There's no reality to what we put into our minds. There's no reality to what we expect. But this is the reality. Nobody wants to watch a movie that makes them feel sad. Nobody wants to watch a movie that makes them feel sad. We're mystified. As, as adults, we're mystified as to what it takes to have a good relationship. Um, some of us do really well in this area. Others of us, not so much. Others of you, you're sitting in the room right now, and uh, people are sitting around you right now, and they're like, well, you know, I'm glad we're doing a series on relationships because they need to hear this. And you love them so much, you don't want to tell them what they need to hear. So that's why this gets to be my job today, right? You guys are letting me do this for you. So because there's so many misconceptions, that's why we've decided to step into this series of moving past blind dates, moving past roommates, and becoming soulmates. Uh, so for some of you that are in the room, you're a doubter. And what I mean by that You've stepped into the church. Maybe this is your first day in a church. You don't know what you believe about this Bible thing. You're not sure if it really applies. You're just like, I don't know. I, let me tell you this. I am so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And this is what I know about you. We get relationship advice. We get it from everyone. We get it from Dr. Oz, right? We get it from Dr. Phil, and some of us even get it from, like, Dr. Seuss. So we get our relationship advice from all different people. But what I know about you, the person that's just not sure what the Bible has to say about this, you want better relationships. We all do. So what if you were to step back and take a chance today and just listen and apply what Scripture clearly says is necessary in order to have great relationships with people? Some of you are single. You're single, and you are happy to be single. You look at your dating friends and you think, man, I'm glad I don't got their problems because I can go where I want to go. I can spend my money the way I want to spend my money. No one tells me what to do. I have freedom. Why would I want to step into a relationship with anyone? This is what I know. You might not want a dating relationship with someone, but you have relationships with people. So the information that we're going to share with you today can be applied to any relationship that you're in. 
It can be applied and it can help those relationships become better. It can help those relationships become stronger. Maybe you're engaged. I was engaged once. And when I was engaged, (laughs) I just thought everything was perfect. And, you know, you look at that person you're engaged to and you think, man, look at his strong chin bones. He's perfect. He's funny. He makes me laugh. He makes me feel like a better person. Some of you are touching the person's chin next to you right now. (laughs) So you're just like, wow, he's perfect. And you look at your your significant other and you think to yourself, "She's, she's just perfect. She's perfect. She's just quiet and she sits and listens to me and she encourages me all the time. We aren't going to have any problems. Things are just that great. Well, I get to be the reality police today, too. So in reality, that relationship is going to be strained. It's going to be strained. I guarantee you, you will not be engaged forever. You're either going to break up or you're going to get married. And either way you look at it, there's going to be crisis that comes into that relationship. Whether you're married, whether you're broken up, It just happens. So we want to make sure we offer information. We offer, what does the Bible say about these relationships that will help you become better in those relationships? Some of you are divorced. And you think, I've been through this once. My relationship fell apart. I did everything I could. And I couldn't save a marriage. I'm hoping that today you can walk out of here with some hope. You can see that things don't have to always end that way. There's a lot of hurt that people carry around. And maybe once we're done, you'll be able to step into a situation where you can look at what happened and you can see how God can use this moving ahead to help you in your future relationships with with people. There's another group that's in here. That's those of you who are single who just crave a relationship. And it's not that relationship where you just want to have a friend that you can, like, eat bonbons with. I don't even know what bonbons are. But you're looking for that relationship where it's your soulmate. I want that person that's going to complete me. You don't understand. I have a hole inside of me that can only be filled by you. And you're looking and you're looking and you're looking and you just haven't found. And you just think, if I could only find the right person, everything would be all right. And we want to attack that misconception today. I'm going to say that that's a myth. There's this myth out there that if I find the right person, everything's going to be all right. We're going to talk specifically about that a little bit later. We're going to jump into that. Then there's a final group that's in here. You're married. And this is what you're thinking. I'm married. Everything's fine. And if that's the case, you're a guy. (laughs) You think to yourself, well, she came home last night. Everything must be all right. (laughs) You give her the universal language of love, which is tire rotations and oil changes, right? I don't know. I take care of her car. What more could she want? So we're going to talk into that. Maybe the spark's just not there. You know, maybe the passion is gone. You don't know. We don't need that stuff. I'm going to say you do. And we're going to engage you in conversation. We're going to try to engage your mind a little bit today in what you can do to improve that relationship, what you can do to make that better. I don't know what that was. It may have hit my beard. So where are we going? 
where are we going to be going over the next few weeks in this series? Uh, relationships are a huge part of our lives. So throughout this series, we're going to be examining God's design for our relationships, both with him and with others. Uh, we're going to dig deep into topics like relationship priorities, trust, and the search for the one. Next week, Tim Nice is going to be here because John is still going to try to be in the fighting military in Israel. So Tim Nice is going to be here next week trusting with the title, basically the idea of trusting God to bring you the one, trusting God to bring the right person along. Uh, after that, John should be back. He's going to talk about find, uh, your first love. What is that first love? Uh, the following week, John's going to be stepping into probably a very sensitive issue for a lot of us, and it's going to be God's divine design for sex and marriage. And while some of these topics could make us uncomfortable, I'm hoping you come back and you see how these all connect and mesh together. You need to hear what we are going to be speaking about. At Cocalico Community Church, one of our values is healthy relationships. And I believe in my heart that we can do a better job at this. So, moving forward just a little bit. Why is another reason why we want to do this? Statistics. I took a stats class in college, didn't like it very much. But sometimes they come in handy. And you can make numbers lie, I do know that. But you ready for this? There's an 86% chance by the time you turn 40, you will be married. So some of you who are sitting up here in the front right, who are like 15 years old, there's an 86% chance by the time you're 40, you'll be married. And your dads are all going, huh. So there's a chance you're going to get married. But this is what I know about the statistics. I also know that the statistics say in the United States that the divorce rate is 53%. So out of that 80% of people that get married, that find the one, their marriages end. 53% of those end. They crash. It's interesting when we consider the divorce rate. Uh, we think 53% is high. In Belgium, the divorce rate is 70%. 70%. And they have the best chocolate in the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. In Chile, the divorce rate is 3%, the lowest divorce rate of any country. And I believe it has to be because they have to snuggle together all the time to keep warm. So as we move ahead in this, when we think about what, what does love got to do with it? What's love got to do <laughs> so, what's love got to do with it? Just because you're married doesn't mean you're happy. Just because you're dating doesn't mean you're going to be married. Just because you're divorced doesn't mean you can't be happy. We really want to step into the mentality that we have, that we can have healthy relationships, and that healthy relationships are going to help us have a closer relationship with others, of course, but the only way to get there is through a relationship with God. So this is where I take a chance today. Um, you guys have been wondering what's behind this board. That's a free drawn, that, that, that circle is drawn by hand. I just want to let you know that. That's a free hand circle. That's a pretty good circle. Thank you. You guys are engaging and I appreciate that. It makes it a lot easier to do this. So, when you consider what love is, I want to know what love is. I want you to tell me, all right? When you consider what love is, for the sake of this illustration, we're going to use marriage, all right? 
what words come to mind? So in other words, in order to have a loving marriage, it must possess what? So this is where I'm going to ask you a question, and you're allowed to talk back, all right? So a loving marriage must possess what? Concubines? (laughs) What was that? Compromise. (laughs) I'm like, welcome to Lancaster County. (laughs) So I spoke a few months ago, and you guys know I can't spell, and the reality is it's going to bother some of you more than it bothers me because I just... Don't, I've gotten to the point I don't care about spelling. So compromise, good, we got the ball rolling. What else does it, what else does it have? <laughs> Stereo, trust, T-R-U-S-T. What else? Ah, my favorite. Sing it with me, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. All right, respect, what else? Communication. C-O-M-M-I. What else? Loyalty. Just like a dog. Loyalty. <laughs> Loyalty. Loyalty. Come on, we're doing good. Intimacy. Intimacy. <laughs> well. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Intimacy. Words of affirmation. Makes the list. What else? Security. It's hard for me to write and spell. It's hard for me to spell, let alone write, spell, and listen. Security. What else? Could we say togetherness? Okay. All right. (laughs) Love. God. This is what's interesting about this list that's up here. Um, anytime you do something like this, you take a chance. I'm going to shift gears here. We're moving from uh, dialogue to monologue stage. So uh, that means you don't yell anymore at me. <laughs> I love pork shoulders. I love them. I take a pork shoulder, I rub it down with yellow mustard, I hit it with a rub, I throw it in the smoker, and it sits there for like 12 to 15 hours. I pull it out at 195 to 203 degrees, and then I pull it. And I put it on a bun, and I enjoy it. It's delicious. I love pork shoulders. Here's another one I love. I love pickles. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad I have it up here. I'm telling you, I love pickles. Salty and spicy. My favorite pickle right now is the Wickle. There's a pickle brand, the Wickle Pickle. It is a delicious pickle. It's salty and spicy. I love it. I love Wickles. <laughs> I love the bags at Weaver's Market. You know the brown paper bag with the handles? 
First time I went into Weaver's Market and she put my groceries in that bag, I was thinking to myself, what do we have here? Who does this anymore? It was amazing. And Aunt B put the groceries into my bag and I walked out to the car holding the handle. I'm like, I've never been to a place that's had a grocery bag with handles like this before. I love the bags at Weaver's Market. I actually believe my wife has one in the room right now because she loves them too. I love my wife. Okay, so this just got odd. <laughs> I love pork shoulders. I love pickles. I love Weaver's brown paper bags, and I love my wife. I just used the same word to describe a relationship between three things that are great to my wife. I compared my wife to a pork shoulder. <laughs> Granted, she is smoky at times. <laughs> I compared her to a spicy pickle. You know where that's going. I compared her to a brown paper bag. I don't know how that plays out. But you understand what I'm saying. You can see where I'm going. How does this play out in our lives? <laughs> we... We build our relationships about the, around these things. Tell me this. Is loyalty, is, is compromise a feeling or an action? It's an action. Is trust, you have to trust someone. It's an action. Respect, what is that? I'm showing you respect. Is respect a feeling? No, it's an action. Communication. Is communication a feeling? I feel communicated. It's not. It's an action. Words of affirmation. Action. Security. I'm providing. It's an action. Togetherness. Action. Intimacy. Well, it's both. It's a, we'll talk about that later. But the reality is all of these things are choices. So we choose love. If I were to say to you, how's your marriage? Some of you back up and you look and you go, well, I just don't feel close. I don't feel connected. I don't feel like we get along. I ask, how's your dating relationship? We just don't feel like we're talking anymore. This is the reality. If I were to ask you to describe your marriage, you use feeling words. But if I were to ask you what love is, you use actions. So maybe that means that we've got to change the way that we look at what takes place in our relationships. There's a thought process that's out there, and we've got to debunk it. It's this idea, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. If I just find the right person... If I can just find that person who completes me, if I can just find that person, there's, there's a hole in my heart that can only be filled with you. If I could only find that person, everything will be all right. What's the problem with that thinking? What's the problem with thinking that you are going to complete me? Here's the problem with that. When my wife makes me irritated, when she pushes me, when she stresses my patience, I think to myself, maybe I didn't marry the right person. We've got to get out of this mindset. We've got to help our kids understand they don't need to find the right person. They don't need to find the right person. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's no, I got that right. 
You need to become the right person. You need to become the right person. You need to become the person whom you are looking for is looking for. We've had big debate over this statement here today. Someone says it needs to have a who in there. It might. But you know what I'm saying. We need to become the person you're looking for is looking for. But when we back this up and we think about this, it's not becoming what they need you to be. It's becoming who God wants you to be. It's becoming what God has said you need to become. So we're going to step into 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 today. And 1 Corinthians 13, let me give you a little bit of a background of what's taking place here in Corinth. 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to a church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a seaport city. It was surrounded by water. I would tell you what sea it is, but I don't know. I think it was like the Aegean, maybe. It's down there. So it was surrounded by water. And any seaport city has trade and a lot of commerce that goes through that city. And that means that people are coming and going, and it's like all the sailors are here, and all of this is going on, so people are really living their lives the way they want to live your lives. So Paul takes on first the church in Corinth, so 1 Corinthians, you know, if you go to the end of your Bible, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, get past the guys, you know, Acts and Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul attacks the idea of some of this faulty thinking that was taking place in these churches. What were some of the things that were going on in these churches? There was a son uh, in a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. That's not good not good at all. And the church wasn't doing anything about it. They knew it was going on and they didn't engage. You know, there was people within the church, believers, who were uh, suing one another and taking each other to court over petty issues. He attacks that issue. You can't do this. We have people who are starving and people who are rich. And the people who are rich are never taking care of the people who are starving. They're not giving what God has given them much of to give to those who don't have anything of. And they're walking past and ignoring these people. And they're literally having love feasts. And some people are gorging themselves on food and other people are sitting there with nothing. And they're not even paying attention to those around them. There's people that are taking advantage of their Christian liberties there's people that are doing things that they have every right to do, but they just kind of thumb their nose up and say, you know what, you've got problems, and you need to get past your problems. I can eat this meat that was sacrificed to idols. That was the specific problem that was going on at that time. I can eat this meat, and I can do what I want to do, and you can't tell me I can't because there's nothing wrong if I do it. And Paul comes back to them, and he says, listen, you're right. You can eat this, but the reality is this. If it offends a weaker brother... I'm not going to do it. If it offends somebody, I'm not going to do it. I might have a right to eat this sacrificed animal that was offered to Baal. I have a right to do that. But if it offends you, I'm not going to do it. And he gives away his rights for others. So as we work through those first parts of the book, he lands at chapter 13. In chapter 13, Paul lays out what is necessary for healthy relationships within the church. And we can apply this to our lives. What is necessary for healthy relationships in our lives? You know, I was, I, the reason that we did this exercise is because when I say we're going to talk about love, some people automatically just go, oh, here we go. 
a heady definition, biblical definition of the word love. Well, are we talking phileo love? Are we talking agape love? Are we talking eros love? All the Greek terms that go into that, we're not talking about that. We're using your definition of love today. You defined it. We're using your definition. And what's interesting, you knew the definition, right? When I said, what is love, you gave me a definition that was solely biblical. And I can prove it to you now. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It is not easily angered. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So Paul gives us this description of love. You guys did a pretty good job up here. You did a really good job up here of defining this. So this is our becoming list. What we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is what we must master if we want to have great relationships with others. You must become the person you are looking for is looking for. In other words, I must become what God wants me to be. And if I flow out of the overflow of my heart with the things that God commands me to do in Scripture, my relationships with other people are going to be better than I could ever imagine them being. I've got to become the person I'm looking for is looking for. This doesn't mean I've got to find the right person and everything's going to be all right. That's a, that's, that, that's a load of junk. Get rid of it. Some of you are sitting here right now thinking, man, my relationship with my wife is terrible. It's terrible. Well, stop focusing on her and start focusing on you. Maybe there's some simple things you can do that can improve that relationship. So he steps into this, and we're going we're gonna to kind of take a skip a rock on this because there's a lot of information within this passage. But love is patient. He starts out, love is patience. So patience is a choice, all right? I make a choice to be patient. I'm going to move at someone else's pace rather than pressure them to match mine, all right? It's a choice to do less than you are capable of doing for the sake of keeping in step with someone else. Let me give you a real simple illustration of this. Weaver's Market, twice in one sermon today. Weaver's Market. When I first moved to the area, I was walking into Weaver's Market. I'm walking, I get up to the automatic door, and that door opens at the pace of snail. I literally walked right into the door. It's like, patience. I hit the door and I'm like, what in the world? Why don't they speed this thing up? You know, my pace was quicker than that door's pace. Some of you are in a relationship with someone and their pace is just naturally slower than you. And you push them. You push them to move faster. How's this look in my relationship with my wife? Well, it's like when we're getting ready to go out on a date and I say to Amy, come on, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're holding us up, you're holding us up, you're holding us up. And I'm jingling the keys. Come on, come on, let's go. I want to show you how much I love you. That's what patience is. Patience means I'm going to slow things down in order to move at 
her pace. It means she's going to slow things down to move at my pace. It's much more difficult for her because she's much smarter than I am. So she explains things multiple times. So patience. Love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness. It's a choice to leverage one's strength on behalf of another. A choice to place yourself at someone else's disposal. All right, when I moved to the area, I showed up with a 26-foot moving truck packed full with boxes. And when I pulled into the driveway, the whole way down, I was dreading, what am I in for getting this thing unload, unloaded? I had no idea what to expect. I show up, and there's like 25 guys in my driveway. That's kindness. They leveraged their time. They leveraged their strength. They leveraged their abilities to help me do something. didn't mean that I couldn't do it. It meant that they were helping me do it. They leveraged something they have, strength, at my disposal, not expecting anything in return. They weren't kind, I don't think, expecting me to do something in return. They just did it. Kindness is love's response to weakness. It's love's response to weakness. There's times where I just, I can't pull it together. And my wife will walk in and sit down with me, and I can sit and talk with her, and she kindly engages me. She doesn't look at me and say, what is your problem, loser? She kindly engages me in conversation. Love is kind. Love does not envy does not boast, is not prideful. <laughs> Basically, this is the quite the trio. If these exist in your relationships, if envy, if boasting, if pride exist in your relationships, I can tell you why your relationships are terrible. No one wants to be around someone who is prideful. No one wants to be around someone who boasts. That guy that, oh yeah, I... <laughs> You think that's good? <laughs> you should hear what I did this week. Nobody wants to be around that guy. Nobody wants to be around someone who envies all of your stuff, who envies ugly. If you don't feel good about yourself, criticizing someone else isn't going to fix that problem. It's a you problem. It's not a them problem. And this is how it plays out in the relationship. We see it flushed out in this idea of sarcasm. Sarcasm is not a strategy for self-improvement. Sarcasm hurts. I got to watch. I can respond sarcastically. It easily rolls off my tongue. My head works much faster than, nope, my mouth works much faster than my head. And I say things, and once they come out, I'm like, oh, that was hurtful. And you know who patterns that? My kids. My kids are quick. I can get into a bantering conversation with my daughter and she can keep up. Maybe it's because I'm slow, but I don't think that's it. She learned from a really good master. All of this stuff starts with me. You see, every slide ends with, it starts with you. If you want your relationships to get better, you have to recognize it starts with you. You have to become. You have to become. What's the cure for envy, boastfulness, and pridefulness? Is there a cure for this? Yes, it's celebration. As opposed to being critical of someone, celebrate with someone. As opposed to biting your tongue and not saying what you should say, engage and say what you would want to hear. It's easy to de defeat these things. And imagine if you got into a relationship where someone else was against these things just as much as you are. And this never 
took place in your relationship. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen. It starts with you. It starts with you. Love does not dishonor others. This is the one I struggle with. I struggle with this one. Honor chooses to bring the best version of you to the table. Amy and I are going on a date. We're sitting down at the table at the restaurant. She looks across the table and she looks at me and she goes, I wish you had shaved. Not my whole beard, but just kept it trimmed. Or I, I, I show up, hey, Amy, let's go. I just rotated your tires and changed the oil in your car. The language of love for a woman, they love that. And i am got greasy fingernails. My hands are filthy. I'm in my overalls. Hey, let's go out to eat, dear. And she looks like she's walking into a restaurant with a bum. It chooses to bring its best version to the table. I have to make a choice. Honor chooses to express value through protection. My son, Mark, loves Rubik's Cubes. Loves them tremendously. Uh, we had friends come over to the house. A, well, let me rephrase that. We had a boy come over to the house when we lived up in Northeast PA. And he came in, and Mark loves Rubik's Cubes so much, he has like, I don't know how many he has now, like six, seven, ten. And we caught this boy walking with Mark's Rubik's Cubes and throwing them in the trash. And I'm kind of like, what in the world? And I engaged this kid about this. He was literally throwing Mark's stuff away. You know, maybe it comes from enviness. I don't know. Maybe it was envying. I don't know. What are you doing? But that doesn't protect. That's not showing any protection of anyone, his things. And it's, it made Mark feel like, I can't trust this kid. Honor chooses to take every opportunity to express you first. I choose to place my wife in front of myself. I have to make that choice. I can't expect my wife to always put herself in front of me. Well, that's just how it should be. I'm the man. She has to. No, I have to place myself in front of her. I have to lead. I have to step up. But at the same time, she has to lead and she has to step up. It's a mutual submission to one another. Love is not self-seeking. Paul really wraps up what he said to this point with this one statement. Love doesn't seek its own. You do all of these things, and I could put it in one phrase, don't seek its own. So we step ahead one more, and this is the biggie for me. Love is not easily angered. <laughs> so last night at my house, it's funny how God gives me illustrations. I made probably maybe one of the worst decisions I've ever made as a, as a husband. I don't know. But, and father, we bought my son a snake for Christmas. I know some of you are thinking right now, you're a pastor. You shouldn't be friends with a snake. Satan was a snake. I understand. I'm pretty sure this is not that one. So we bought Mark a snake. And my loving daughter, who's older and wiser, and Mark got together and colluded that they would take the lid off of the snake together. So they take the lid off. She takes a Snapchat video, which I believe is the devil. She takes a Snapchat video, puts it online. Mark puts the lid back on his cage, goes on his merry way. I come up to put Mark to bed that night, and uh, I go walking in, and I, I, as I do all the time, I look in the snake cage just to make sure it's there. Hey, Mark, where's your snake? It's in the cage, Dad. No, Mark. And then I look. The lid isn't on the cage. It's gone. I mean, it's like it's a jar. And I'm like, Mark, you didn't put the lid on the cage. 
Now, inside of me, I feel this thing just rearing up. And I got this 12-year-old kid and a 15-year-old daughter. And I just want to take them both and say, didn't you think? What were you thinking? Why would you do this? I, I, I felt the anger just building up in me. And, you know, I had a choice at that point. I could get stirred up. I could get wound up and get ticked off, right? Or <laughs> I could choose not to have a short fuse. I could choose to step back and say, hey, it's my job as your father. I'm going to teach you. Listen, Mark, you need to make sure when you put the lid on the snake. I kind of didn't do that very well. I reacted. I started tearing his room apart. I'm throwing things out in the hallway. I'm taking blankets off his bed. I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going to be sleeping with a snake. And we finally found the snake in his closet back in the corner on the ground. And I look at Mark. I say, there's your snake. Pick it up. I'm not touching it. <laughs> Mark, it's your snake. I'm not touching it, Dad. I'm not comfortable touching it yet. Woo! I'm not either. He's like, let's get a cup. I'm like, no, Mark. So I grabbed this snake by the tail, and I'm like, and now it's like, I'm like Steve Irwin, and I throw it in the cage, I put the lid on it, and we walk away. But it's funny. Those circumstances, mine was a snake. What's yours? Maybe it's socks on the ground next to the bed, and it sets you off. Maybe it's the fact that my laundry's not clean. Maybe they don't put their dishes in the dishwasher. What is it? What sets you off? Love is not easily angered. Anger is, out of the list, anger is the thing that's a reaction. Everything else is a choice. Anger is a reaction. Love keeps no record of wrongs. No record. How many of you have ever been around someone who's a human filing cabinet for your wrongdoings? Doesn't that make a great relationship? You know, hey, uh, dear, that's not true. Back on April 11th, 2014, you said this, and you never, and you did this. And by the way, another thing, your mother, it doesn't keep record. It doesn't keep record. You know, it chooses not to keep files of the wrongs. Here's the reality about a record keeper. If you're a record keeper, the problem is not your accuracy. Um, usually record keepers are very accurate. The problem is the damage that your accuracy does to the relationship. You can't keep records. You can't. Nobody gravitates towards humiliation. Nobody. Nobody. Filers always justify their truth-telling. Those who file records in their mind justify their truth-telling, but eventually they will truth the life right out of their most valued relationships. They're going to truth the life out of their valued relationships. I'm always right. Great. You're going to be right yourself right out of any relationship that's meaningful in your life. It's tough. So what do we do? Here's this list of things we don't do. What do we do? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The final section is taken best together. Uh, and it's a game-changing idea for you in every relationship that you're in. Love looks and celebrates good behavior. Love looks to catch people doing the right thing. Maybe as opposed to watching people and make sure they do something wrong and then nailing them for it, maybe you should watch and catch people doing something right and 
Criticize is the wrong word. Compliment them for it. Compliment them for it. Love loves to catch people doing good. Loves it. This shows you how far love is willing to bend in order to see and believe the best in others. How far is love willing to go? It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. In every relationship, there are occasional or not so occasional gaps in that relationship that take place. Gaps between promises and performance. Gaps between expected behavior and actual behavior. I do it all the time. And when that happens, when there's a gap in my relationship with my wife, when something happens, she has a choice to make at that point. She has a choice. She can choose to trust me or be suspicious of me. Love chooses to fill in the gaps with trust. It has to. If my relationship with my wife is going to be healthy, I have to fill in all of the things that happen that, are in, that drive me crazy. I have, to, I have an option. I can assume that she hates me and she's out to get me, or I can assume that I'm not sure what happened, but I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Bottom line, love is unnatural. What I am asking you to do here today is totally unnatural. It's not natural for us to place others before ourselves. It's not natural for us to work on becoming the person that God wants us to be. It's natural for us to become the person that I want to be. It's natural for me to want you to become the person that you need to be for me, and it's natural for me to find the person that's going to fill the hole in my life that's going to make me better. But the reality is God wants us to become that list. Love is. Love is. Every wedding in the United States ends this way from this day forward. You're in relationships right now with people and you have an opportunity to make a choice. You have an opportunity to step back. You can, if you're married, you can look at that vow. If you're not married, you have the opportunity to make a decision and say, from this day forward, I choose to do what? I choose to become the person that God needs me to become or I can choose to try to find the person that's going to fulfill me. Here at CCC, we value these relationships. We value healthy relationships. Maybe you need to make a choice today. Maybe you need to stop trying to fill the voids in your life with people and start trying to fill those voids in your life with what God has instructed us to become. Maybe you need to abandon the right person myth. Maybe you're younger and you're like, I'm not going to get married for 27 years because that's what my dad says. But the reality is you need to work on becoming the person that your future spouse needs, a person that loves, honors, respects, puts God before all else. Because if you do, you're going to find ultimate fulfillment in those relationships because you're going to attract a guy that values the same thing. Maybe you need to accept responsibility for who you are and why you react the way you do today. Maybe you're just like, I, I have an anger problem. 
I react. I don't respond. And you've got to work on that. Maybe you're looking at your relationship and you're saying, man, it's broken. And the whole time I've been pointing at her or him saying that it's his job to fix this, but there might be things that you need to do in order to fix this. Excuse me. We need to do the difficult work of becoming the person that you're looking for is looking for. It's hard work. It's hard work to reach up to the pattern that God has asked us to reach to. But here's the reality. He gave us a great example in his son, Jesus Christ, who being in the form of man thought it not robbery, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to become a man. Jesus became a man for us. He showed us exactly what this sacrifice should look like and be. So as we close here today, I have a few questions for you. Are you willing to make the changes necessary in order to become the right person? It's tough. It's hard. We're here. We're all going through it together. We all value these healthy relationships. Maybe we can do that together. Maybe you're a person that's sitting here right now and you're like, man, I just don't even have what it takes to do this. I know that I don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm here on a whim. If that's you, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. There's nothing more that I'd rather see than to see Jesus Christ change your relationships with people. And he does that. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, you are so good to us. You love us. You send your son to die for us. I'm grateful for that. Lord, I look at my relationships and I know I struggle with putting into practice what I preach. I struggle with uh, putting others before myself. I struggle in my relationship with my kids with high expectations. I struggle with completing and filling in the gaps with those things that just aren't true. Lord, I pray that I would become a man that reflects honesty and integrity with all of my relationships with others. Father, I pray that you would just continue to work in our lives here at CCC. Continue to work great here in the church where we could see healthy relationships just continue to grow. Father, we're thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for everything that you've done for us. We're most thankful for your son. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.